Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Fantastic, fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 3. We are finishing up a series called You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. And we've, we've spent the last seven weeks talking about the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And so we have, I hope this study has been good for you. How many of you, this has helped you, this has encouraged you, it's challenged you, maybe it's stretched you. I know it's been that for me. And so I pray that it's translated into value, into your life, into your family. Um, so today is the final installment of this series, You've Got Mail. The seventh and final church is the church at Laodicea, the church at Laodicea. And so we're going to talk about the letter that Jesus wrote to this church. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down somewhere because we say this all the time that note takers are history makers. And so if you want to make history, you got to write some things down. I want you to write this down somewhere on your paper, on your smartphone, on your iPad. Write down the phrase eternal perspective, eternal perspective perspective. Laodicea, I think there's something about an eternal perspective that God wants us to recognize. Now, let me give you a quick uh, history, some context of the city of Laodicea. We talked about context and how it brings the text, the biblical text, to life. When you understand what was happening in the community and the dynamic of the church, then reading the letter will give you a little bit of an insight on why Jesus says what he does. Laodicea was a wealthy community. They had a huge banking industry. They had so much wealth in Laodicea. And again, all of these cities are in present-day Turkey. Or so 2,000 years ago, it was Asia Minor. But it was under the, the, uh, the power of the Roman Empire. And so Laodicea was a very wealthy community, large banking industry. They had so much wealth that when an earthquake came in 60 A.D. and destroyed the city, that they told Rome, we don't need your money in helping to rebuild our community. So internally, they had a lot of resource. Uh, this was a community that was also famous for fashion. And uh, how many like to get dressed? How many like a new pair of shoes? Come on, how many need a new outfit for Christmas this year? Yes, indeed. How many of you are fashion clueless? <laughs> See, I think it's good that fashion clueless people marry fashion conscious people. How many knows which one I am? Turn your neighbor and say, he married well. Yeah, how many like that tie I'm rocking today? Come on, talk to me. I had nothing to do with it. But uh, so in Laodicea, there was a huge fashion industry as well. They produced black wool. Black wool, it was this soft woolen fabric, and they made a lot of clothing out of it. Uh, also in this city, in Laodicea, they had a, a medical school that specialized in eye health. In fact, people would travel from all over the Roman Empire to go to Laodicea if they needed some sort of eye care. And specifically, they had developed this eye salve, this special salve that brought healing to those that were having eye difficulty. And then finally, one of the trademarks of this community was its water supply. Clean water was brought into the city from two different directions, from a, a, a community six miles north 
of Laodicea, and it was uh, some valley springs that brought in hot water into Laodicea. But also there was a community about 10 miles to the south and to the east, a community called Colossae, which is where we get the, the book of Colossians. Um, and so from the mountains of Colossae, some cold water springs brought water into the community. So they had two entrances, two sources of clean water. And we'll see how this comes into play. So read with me in Revelation chapter 3. Now, this was the church, probably started by Epaphras. Um, Epaphras started the same church in Colossae, was a friend of the apostle Paul. And uh, so anyway, some interesting dots to connect. And we'll see how what Jesus says in this letter kind of ties all of this together. Are you with me? Okay, Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 14. Revelation 3, 14. The Bible says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. I love that. How many know in church a lot of times we'll say, can I have a good amen? What does amen mean? It means so be it, yes. And sometimes when we say that, we're confirming what's being spoken. I love how God, Jesus refers to himself as the amen. How many of you know when Jesus puts an amen on your life that it doesn't matter what man says or does or thinks, God's amen seals the deal? I love that. This letter is from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's new creation. I love that. Today we recognized God's new creation as we baptized almost 60 people in two services. They said, in going under the water, that's saying I'm dead to the things of my past. And coming out of the water, it's symbolic of a new creation, a brand new beginning. It says, from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. This is what he says, verse 15. I know all the things you do that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, okay, I want you to underline that phrase or circle that in your Bible. Since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Somebody say gross. Ooh, what's he talking about here? I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, remember, we said that in this city, there were two water sources, one from the north and the other from the southeast. One was a hot water source, and the other was a cold water source. Now, I want you to understand this. Both hot water and cold water were valuable. How many has ever heard this message preached before? You, you've heard this, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. How many's heard that? And a lot of times we connect that with, you know, God wants us either hot toward him or he would prefer that we're cold toward him. And in thinking about that and studying it this week, I'm not sure that that's what the biblical text is saying. I, I have a hard time reconciling God saying that I would prefer somebody's heart was cold toward me. I don't think God wants anybody's heart cold toward him. He wants us to be warm. He wants us to be on fire. We'll talk about that in just a second. But he says you're neither hot nor cold. Here's the interesting thing. Hot water had value. 2,000 years ago, hot water in those days meant something therapeutic. It was medicinal. And so hot water was brought into the city, and it was used for therapeutic purposes. Cold water that had been piped into the city was good for drinking. So both hot and cold were useful. Think about it. Hot water was good for therapeutic reasons. Cold water was good to drink. But lukewarm water was good for nothing. 
So I don't think God's saying, I want your heart to be cold toward me. What he's saying is this, hot water has value, cold water has value, but lukewarm water has no value at all. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to see there are three things in this letter that I believe the church at Laodicea had forfeited. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. They lost their sense of purpose. Everybody say purpose. You see, there was a purpose for hot water and a purpose for cold water, but there was absolutely no purpose for lukewarm water at all. Jesus said, and the indictment to this church is, you have lost your sense of purpose. Now, if you remember in this study for six weeks, we've been reading of these letters that Jesus wrote to the churches. And in all of the letters, there was a source of encouragement. Jesus always brought rebuke and correction, but most of the time he said something encouraging. Hey, I know you're doing some things well. This is the only letter out of seven where there's nothing encouraging at all. He doesn't say one nice thing to this church. He's saying, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, it makes me nauseous. I want to vomit. How many has ever been next to somebody who threw up? Does it make you want to throw up too? How many of you vomit next to somebody who's already puked? I know this is kind of getting a little gross. I'm sorry. But I was thinking about this as he's talking about spit you out of my mouth because you've lost your purpose. It, it, it makes me sick. I thought about, you know, several years ago when Rachel and I, we, we had gone to Florida with the kids, taking a few days off. We were on our way back home. And that morning, Trevor had eaten a bunch of donuts, a whole lot of donuts. And so he was complaining about a stomachache. And so we're driving back, and it's about lunchtime, and, man, I was ready to eat. So how many know I'm going to find you a Chick-fil-A? <laughs> Christian chicken, just the way God intended. <laughs> you know, somebody fussed at me the other day, say, Pastor, you always talking about Chick-fil-A, but don't you realize it's Sunday and Chick-fil-A is closed <laughs> on Sunday? Yeah, I'm sorry. But uh, so, so we're trying to find a Chick-fil-A. We, we, we pull into the drive-thru, place our order, and Trevor's complaining about his stomach. And so Rachel's like, babe, when you pull up to the window, be sure and get an extra bag. Get an extra bag just in case. Man, I got my mind on waffle fries and, man, 12-count nuggets, some Polynesian sauce. Come on, somebody. Man, just, man, it, we, man I'm hungry, man. We're Chick-fil-A, baby. I'm passing things back. She's like, get a bag quick, quick. Ask him for a bag. Hurry, ask for a bag. And it was too late. Trevor blew chunks right behind me. And Rachel, she's, and God bless all you mamas out there. She just instinctively reached back and she's got his vomit in her hands. And she's saying, ask for a bath. I'm like, oh, 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 wait a second. What about the waffle fries? You know? What about the Polynesians? Man, there was panic in the vehicle. And then Michaela, bless her little heart. Man, Michaela, my little girl, man, she's precious. She's got a little touch of diva in her, just a little bit. She's like, oh, no, I'm about to get sick. I'm about, and, you know, vomit has a little smell to it, doesn't it? Man, the whole car just smelled sour. And, man, we're trying to pass back food. And, man, Michaela's hyperventilating. And Rachel's got vomit. And I'm saying, give me a bath in the most Christian way possible. <laughs> like, I need a bag. You know, and I, that episode, I'll never forget that. I thought, you know, Lord, help me never live my life such, in such a way where it says, you know what? It makes me nauseous. Jesus died to place value on every one of us. 
going to tell you this. The three most important days, and I want you to write this down. I think this is important. I want you to see where I'm going because purpose is a big deal. The three most important days, number one, is the day you were born. How many of you are thankful for that? Turn your day and say, I'm glad you're here. That's a pretty important day. It may not be important to most, but it should be important to you. The day you were born. Number two, the day you were born again. Can I, can I say that? We don't talk about born again a lot. Remember in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus was talking to Jesus and, and Jesus said, you must, you must be born again or you're not going to be able to receive the things of the kingdom of God. God has kingdom stuff he wants to give you, but unless you're born again, not a natural birth, but a spiritual birth. The day you were born, number one. The day you were born again, number two. And then number three, the day you discover what you were born to do. Now see, if the devil can't stop day number one, the day you were born. If you can't stop day number two, the day you're born again, he will do everything within his power to keep you from understanding what you were born to do. Somebody say purpose. You see, Jesus came to earth, and we're about to celebrate that at Christmas, the advent of Christ, the coming. Advent in Latin literally means coming, the coming of the Lord Jesus. You were so important to God. The God who created you wants you to know what you were created for. And the church at Laodicea had lost its sense of purpose. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. But they, they meddled in the mediocrity of lukewarm. I want you to do this. Put your pen down just for a second. I want you to put your hand over your heart just like this. Everybody put your hand over your heart. You say, Pastor, what are we fixing to do? Say the Pledge of Allegiance. I want you to feel that. You sense that? How many feel something happening in there? You know what that is? That's purpose. You didn't wake up and say, heart, I really need you to beat today. Guess what? God put that thing in your chest and it's pumping blood throughout your body. Don't, you don't even realize it. Don't even think about it. But that what you're feeling right now is called divine purpose. You're here for a reason. You're here for a season. You're here for a soul. Can I have a good amen? amen. And Jesus wanted the church of Laodicea to know, I have put life inside of you, but you've lost your sense of purpose. Check this out. Look at what it says in verse 17. You say... Well, I'm rich. Remember, Laodicea was very wealthy. The banking industry was huge. They didn't need Roman money to repair its city. They had everything that they needed. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. <laughs> okay, Jesus, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> you think you're rich. You're wealthy. You don't have need of anything. I say you're poor. You're wretched, you're miserable, you're blind, you're naked. How many know that's an indictment on the church? You're not seeing yourself correctly. You think that stuff makes you important, and Jesus says, I'm not concerned about your stuff. I care about your soul. Can I have a better amen? Verse 18, so I advise you, Jesus says, my advice to you is that you would buy gold from me. I want you to stop right there, because when I read that again this week, I was a little confused. God, if they're poor, then how are they going to buy gold? Come on, how many ever wondered that? Lord, your instruction to them is buy gold, but you said they're wretched and miserable and poor. If you don't have anything, how do you purchase gold? And here's the thought that I had. When you don't have a resource, you simply give yourself. 
Lord, I give myself to you. Here, in exchange, you give yourself to me. How many knows that's a pretty good deal? I mean, I mean that, 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 that the, 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 the sinfulness of man, the bankruptcy of man could be met by the wealth of heaven. He says, so buy gold from me. Surrender yourself. Present your life to me. Gold that has been purified by fire, then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments. Now, remember we said that this was a city that produced black wool, a soft woolen material. But he says there are some white garments. White represents purity and holiness. In the midst of, of your, your sin, he says, I have some, the holiness of heaven that I'll give you in exchange. He says, buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And also, ointment for your eyes. Remember that eye salve that this community was noted for. He says, I want you to see. I want to open up your eyes because there are riches from heaven that you're missing. He says, I've got ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. Now look at verse 19. I correct and discipline everyone I love. And all the parents said, how many know that's the motivation for correcting our kids? It's a sign of sonship. When you receive correction, God's saying, you belong to me. I care about you. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent. Somebody say diligent. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Number one, they had lost their sense of purpose. But number two, they had lost their sense of passion. He says, be diligent and turn from your indifference. That word diligent, I mean, there, there's some translations that say, be zealous and repent. There's a Greek word for the word diligent that's being used here, and it's the word zelao. Zalao. Now, in the Greek, it means to be jealous. It means to have a desire or to imitate the sound of boiling water. Remember, he called him lukewarm. You've lost the heat. You've lost the fire. He says, be diligent. I want you to see the word passion here is extremely important because they had forgotten their purpose, and then they drifted into indifference, and they no longer had passion. This is the same word that's used in John chapter 2, and it's one of my favorite pictures of Jesus because sometimes we have a modern picture of Jesus that just it's lacking something to me. If you see the movies or, you know, sometimes we paint Jesus in a picture that's almost apologetic, like Jesus is weak, you know, like he's anemic, he's frail, poor little fragile Jesus. You know, we, we, you don't want to hurt him. You might break him. Can I tell you what? Jesus is a little bit stronger than the modern picture that we paint. In John chapter 2, in fact, Jesus walked into the temple. And you know what he did? He threw a temple tantrum. <laughs> Remember that? Remember when Jesus threw down in the temple that day? The Bible says that he made a whip. Come on, somebody. How many know it's a man's man that makes a whip? I just wish somebody would make a movie of Jesus and he'd look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. <laughs> Listen to me now, but believe me later. <laughs> I mean, can't you see that? Hey, I'll be back. I mean, he walks into the temple in John chapter 2. Now, this is the same. Uh, track with me now. Track with me. 
The same Greek word, the same word, be, be zealous and repent, be diligent, turn from your indifference. It's the same word in John chapter 2. When Jesus walked into the temple, he started turning over the temple tables, and then he ran out the money changers, and then the disciples were like, oh, man, <laughs> we've never seen Jesus like this. And he's cracking that whip, pow, and he says, man, my father's house will be called a house of prayer. You turned it into a den of thieves. What was Jesus doing? And the disciples remembered in John 2, 17. Watch this. In John 2, 17, they remembered a scripture that was taken from Psalm 69, verse 9, which prophesied, passion for God's house burns within me. You see, listen, if you're pursuing God's heart, you'll be passionate for God's house. Don't misuse the house of God. Here's what I love about this church. Not only are you committed to God, but you are passionate about this house. I love that. I love being a part of men and women who are dialed in. Man, we, we, we stand together. We serve together. We fight together. We bleed together, but God has drawn us together. Can I have a good amen? It's almost like a coach trying to get a team fired up, saying, no, 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 come on. Wait a second, guys. You can do better than that. There's got to be a fire inside of you that's, that's boiling, that's bubbling. Don't cool off into lukewarmness, he says. you got to stay passionate on the inside. Come on, are you with me today? I love that about you. I love that about this house. I love that. I, was, I went to Lady Lake Hospital this week and made a visit, and you know, I had to sign in. A lady asked me for my name, and so I had to give me a little name badge. And I said, my name's Mike Heyman. She said, wait, are you a pastor? I said, yes, I am. Well, what church do you pastor? I said, well, I'm over at Healing Place. Have you ever heard of Healing Place? She said, I have. I said, have you ever been? She said, no. I said, girl. I said, you need to come check us out at Healing Place. You would love it. You know what she told me? She said, you are the third person today that has invited me to HPC. Isn't that awesome? There ought to be a fire inside of you for the things of God, for the people of God, for the house of God. Don't lose your passion. I played basketball in college, and there were a number of times Coach Rushing, Gene Rushing, we called him Mean Gene, the rushing machine. He'd get up in our face, grab us by the jersey. Man, he had a long nose. He would go nose to nose with us. I remember one time at halftime, he had this videotape. Man, that's back in the VHS days. Videotape of, of the first half of the game, and we played so lousy. It's like we weren't even there. We just lacked passion. We lacked energy and had that videotape. He was so mad. He took it. He threw it against the wall, and it shattered into a 1,000 pieces. And I was like, thank God the evidence has been destroyed. Man, he, he, sometimes he'd get so close to us and he would go, and he'd have this white stuff kind of forming at the corners of his mouth. What was he trying to do? He was trying to light a fire inside of us. Jesus tells the church in Laodicea, you've lost your fire. Not only have you lost your purpose, but now you've drifted into something lukewarm. Uh, I'm there, there's there, there's a, a, a passionate pursuit of the people of God. He wants us to live fully alive on the inside. Can I have a better amen? 
You know, it's like the, the Apostle Paul. You can read in the New Testament, and he was able to plant churches in so many different cities. In, in the city of Thessalonica, he planted a great church, yet he was beaten in that same city. In the city of Philippi, he planted a great church, yet he was mobbed in that community. In the, in the city of Corinth, he planted a fantastic church, yet he was persecuted. In the city of Jerusalem, he was, he was uh, mobbed by an angry crowd. In each one of those cities, despite opposition, he was able to plant a life-giving church. Do you know the one city that Paul wasn't able to plant a good church in? It was the city of Athens. And you can read it in Acts 17 when he walks into the city. He sees gods everywhere. Here a God, there a God, everywhere a God, God, old McDonald. There were gods all over the place. In fact, they built a statue and they labeled it to the unknown God just in case they had missed one, right? And Paul couldn't do anything. You know why? Watch this. Because of apathy and indifference. Sure, we'll take Jesus. We'll put him on the shelf with the thousands of other gods we already have. You see, the, the church in Laodicea, they had forgotten their purpose. They had lost their passion. But, but check out verse 20. I love this. He says, look, I'm standing at the door. What am I doing? I'm knocking. If you hear my voice, open that door. I'll come in. We'll share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Verse 22, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Not only had they lost their sense of purpose, not only had they drifted into apathy and indifference, they lost their passion. But guess what? The most significant thing they lost was the presence of God. They lost his presence. What's Jesus doing in this passage? He's standing on the door and knocking. Can I tell you this? You only knock on the door of your house if you've been locked out. Come on, somebody. If that's your house and you got to knock on the door, then you've been locked out. What is this saying about the presence of God? The presence of God was no longer in the house. It was outside of the house. And he was trying to find his way back in. He's knocking. Have you ever been locked out of your house? Come on, how has that been locked out? Come on, I'm not judging you. No judgment here. I've been locked out too. In fact, I remember when Rachel and I first moved into uh, our neighborhood years ago. Um, one of the guys came to, and he was frantic. He had knocked on the door, and he says, listen, I've been locked out of my house. Can you help me? I didn't know him. He didn't know me, but I could tell he was in a panic. And so, so I was like, yeah, yeah, let me see what I can do. And so I ran over there, two doors down, and there his daughter is, little three-year-old girl. She's in the window, and, man, she's crying for her dad. She's trying to get to her dad, can't get to him. He's trying to get to her, can't get because the, the door was locked. He had, he had stepped out to check the mail, and she had shut the door behind him, and it was locked. And he was trying to talk to her about how to unlock it, but she couldn't understand. And so all this commotion, all this, you know, I felt, man, let, well, let me, let, me, let me see what I can do. And so I, I, I took a credit card out of my wallet. And have you ever done that? Take your credit card, kind of slide it through, and you kind of, you know, kind of jiggle the handle a little bit. So I'm working that credit card and, and the handle, and about 10 seconds later, pop, the door comes wide open. And so he runs in and grabs her and hugs her. And, man, there's this beautiful moment. And then he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry, what, what, what's your name? I said, my name's Mike. He said, and what do you do for a living? <laughs> well, 
pastor of church down the road. Wow, you broke into my house real easily there. <laughs> Remind me not to attend that church. But see, listen, Jesus was on the outside, and he was trying to get back in. You see, there's a problem when we push Jesus out of the house. We want him close enough to be able to call on him if we need him, but we don't want him on the inside directing the things that we do. And this church didn't even know that the presence of God had been gone, and Jesus was knocking. Now, I know we don't knock on doors today. In fact, if somebody knocks on your door, what are you doing? You're checking through the window first. And you're looking at that app on your cell phone saying, man, let me see if I can pull up that security camera. You're telling the kids, shh. Either somebody's trying to sell you something, somebody's trying to drop off a package, or somebody's trying to change your religion. Come on, somebody. You're like, ah, oh, shh. And yet Jesus, he's knocking. He's saying life works better for you if I'm on the inside. Notice, watch this, and I don't think think the address of Scripture is inspired because this was a letter. They didn't have chapters and verses and all the numbers. But isn't it interesting how this verse is Revelation 3.20? 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's Revelation 3.20, one of the great evangelistic verses of the Bible. And today is 3.20 Sunday. What is that? What is that telling you? That our giving, in just a moment, we're going to give. And nobody's pressured to give. You know, this is not about manipulation. But for many of us, we have been praying, we have been planning, and we've prepared. And so we're going to give an offering. And in this 3.20 offering, Our prayer is that somebody would hear a knock at the door. Jesus is longing to be on the inside. In fact, I want you to turn your attention to the screen, and I want you to see this video of a couple named Chris and Jacqueline and how Jesus came knocking, and because of your giving, they were able to say yes. Check this out. We took on about three to four foot in our home. We just, we weren't prepared for it. It was panic, I'm gonna be honest. We were kind of panicking and um, we ended up at five shelters. We were gone, it was five days before we were able to get back to our home. We got out, we walked up to the house and we were unsure about going in, but said, okay, we can do this. You know, this is no big deal. And when we walked in and I had to walk right back out because my house was destroyed. Nothing was where it belonged. It didn't look like our house. We, uh, we didn't have clothes to wear. Um, we didn't have anything. We thought we had insurance. And um, it didn't transfer over when mortgage companies changed hands. And so uh, we found out the hard way that we didn't have flood insurance after the flood. So we heard that Healing Place had a, uh, were building a new church and where the location was in Denham. So we took a ride over there and sure enough there was people set up and they started you know asking what we needed and we never saw ourselves in that situation where we would need the basic essentials and all of a sudden we did and it was a huge blessing and uh, we were touched by the heart of the church Um, we saw the hands and feet of Christ in operation 
not only did they meet our needs, not just once, but several times over the period of time. And there was prayer offered up and was, was huge. And it, it, when you're in that situation, obviously you need to, to have someone to stand with and to agree with you and, and uh, you know, help, help lift you up. It moved us in such a way that as soon as we were able to, we started attending Healing Place. And of course, when we did come, we did see uh, more of the same. Uh, the heart, uh, the heart of Christ is evident, and um, it's and it continues. Of- it continues to minister to us. We're definitely looking forward to uh, attending Healing Place Denham Springs. And very excited that uh, they were already in the process of beginning to open a campus there, and uh, look forward to that coming to completion so that we can start attending and and bringing others along. And we just want to thank y'all for just taking care of us when we needed the help. It's ministered to our uh, lives and I'm sure to many others. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.